Psychology in Seattle. Hello and welcome to Psychology in Seattle. I'm your host, Kirk Honda, licensed therapist. I'm Mandy, Kirk's cousin. And I'm Humberto Castaneda. I'm the number three comedy critic for the Tacoma Times. Who's number two? This bastard. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> please like us on Facebook. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. Please review us on iTunes. You can also find us on the MyNorthwest.com website, which is associated with KIRO, the radio slash TV station here in Seattle. You can also subscribe and comment on YouTube, which is interesting. A lot of our foreign people that will listen and watch will comment on YouTube. I think YouTube's bigger in other countries Went to have an account on YouTube and actually comment. I think it's bigger. I, I see a lot of uh, international comments on almost all the videos I watch. Yeah. Please send emails to us at contact at psychologyinseattle.com. That's contact at psychologyinseattle.com. We always love hearing from our listeners. Um, and if you like the show and you want to keep the pirate ship afloat, you can support the show by donating at psychologyinseattle.com. I don't want to be sleazy, but I should mention that the show does incur some costs, so it would be nice if those costs were offset by donations. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Today's music is provided by Bread Knife Incident, whose music is available on iTunes. And you can support us by telling friends, your friends about us, particularly if they're in the field, right? That's right. That's right. What's, the, what's our condom brand that we... Pounded Hard Condoms. Pounded Hard Thanks Condoms. for listening. Brought yeah. to you by Pounded, Pounded Hard, Hard Condoms. Condoms. That's right. <laughs> Marketing venture is always welcome. Please call me. I'd be a great spokesperson. You would. Hello. You would. You would. And tester. I mean, I basically do everything. Mm-hmm. Don't say... I don't do everything. I would... <laughs> no, it's already said on air. We could cut that part. <laughs> what, what wouldn't you do for an advertisement? Don't guilt me like that. You know I want to keep our pirate ship afloat. You know I want to get to that penis festival in Japan. I got oh, dreams. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Speaking of, today's episode is about spirituality and psychotherapy. What, what do you say? Would you like to talk about that, guys? Yeah. Let's talk about that. So here's the thing. When I talk with people about spirituality, religion, and psychotherapy, here's what I hear from people, and, and I'm paraphrasing. People say that therapists should not discuss religion because they are imposing their beliefs on the client. Okay, makes some sense. I think I would agree with that. But that doesn't preclude the discussion of any spirituality and therapy, right? They also say therapists should be blank screens. They should never discuss their own personal beliefs or maybe not even discuss belief systems at all. But, of course, anyone who knows anything about psychotherapy knows that therapists are almost never blank screens, and they often will have their values in the therapy room, and I think that's fine. To divorce one's values from the conversation is impossible, so rather than being in denial about that, just accept it and try to use it and be aware of that process. People also say that religion has nothing to do with mental health. They say psychology is a science. Or it's related to medicine, and religion is superstition, and so you, should, you want to get away from superstition and go towards medicine. And this is the part of psychology that I have a problem with because they want to justify themselves by aligning themselves with medical practice because they want to get governments and society to pay money for it. Because if it's not medicine, what is it? Like when you hear people talk about the separation of church and state or the uh, church or God doesn't enter into this conversation. But humans aren't like that. Humans are gray boundaries all over the place, right? Right. Clients are religious. They have spiritualities. And right, if we're going to ignore that part of them, we're not thinking about them holistically. I liken this to the previ- a previous episode we did about multiculturalism and therapy or multicultural therapy. Was that it? Mm-hmm. In that it's it's... 
intrinsic like part of a person you can't separate the different contexts that they come from and how that affects their therapy mm -hmm. and i think this is just another possible facet of their culture and belief system that shapes them and shapes their processing of what they're going through is right. religion right. you know rather you know also their country of origin and their sexual orientation or whatever it's just another piece that shapes people potentially if it's a part of your life very well put mandy i couldn't i couldn't have said it better myself berta you've been in therapy i have did you discuss religion and therapy? I did, yes. Oh, you did? Yeah. I thought you were going to say no. No, how, we did. How did you discuss it? Anger towards organized religion. Did you know your therapist's religion? No. Did you ever get the sense that the therapist looked down on you about your, your belief system? No, and I, um, she never disclosed it directly, but I, I guess I could kind of surmise that she probably had become more kind of new agey <laughs> mm. i hate to say that what gave you that impression her clothing her her decorations her the way she spoke about mental things or spirituality sometimes yeah. uh but you know i could have been totally mistaken it's just yeah and she she just never came out and said here are my belief systems yeah and here's why i don't and she certainly never passed judgment on my belief. Well, another thing that I hear people say is that religion is oppressive and it has no place in therapy. Another thing I hear is that religion is a ridiculous fantasy or a delusion. Uh, I think Freud even might have commented on that a little bit. Some theorists in my world, psychodynamic world, will say that a belief in God is merely a remnant of early childhood development. You know, when you're, an er when you're very small, you look up to your parents as if they're gods because they can do everything that you can't do. They seem to be magical people. They're giants. They, they can do anything. And you have no idea how they do those things. And when you get older and realize that your parents are not gods, they're just like you, they're just, they're humans, you, you still have, you have this void left in your brain, your psyche that's, that is, needs to be filled with something and it gets filled with this, with this quote unquote magical being. With the amazing Spider-Man. Or the spaghetti. Spaghetti, flying spaghetti monster. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have you heard of the flying spaghetti monster? That's the atheist god. It's used as an example by um, some <clears throat> atheist debaters. So what they'll say is, well, why can't I believe in, say, a flying spaghetti monster, which consists of essentially a blob of spaghetti that can fly? And someone might say, well, that's ridiculous. And they might say, well, I know I have no evidence for it, but that's my belief system. And they would argue that some other, you know, someone's religion may also not have evidence for itself. So that's kind of their... Um, it's, it's, I've never fully found it to be the <clears throat> best way to debate anything like that, but um, it certainly is an example of like, well, I can make my own belief system too. Yeah. Anytime you see a parade in Seattle, there will often be a flying spaghetti monster, and now you know what it means. Yeah. Really? Mm -hmm. All this time? Yeah. yeah. It just looks like a huge, they'll just dress up in a humongous, right. like a Muppet thing, and it has spaghetti flying. Oh, I like Muppets. But I think the reason it doesn't work. <laughs> it's not very cute, though, honestly. <laughs> oh. As an argument, it, does, it just doesn't work, uh, except if you're already, like, quote unquote, converted or anti converted. Mm. Because if you happen to be truthfully religious, right, and someone makes that argument to you, first of all, you feel like they're putting down the origins of your religion mm. and because of your belief system you actually attribute holy origins to your religious beliefs yeah. so to you those do not compare yeah so yeah yeah i could see that mm, okay. 
So um, before we get going on the discussion of spirituality and psychotherapy, I just want to say that there's one major don't that all therapists should follow, I think, and that is is that we should not subtly influence our clients or non-subtly, unsubtly, overtly influence our clients to adopt our own religious beliefs because this is an unethical use of power. Yeah, I feel like it's completely irrelevant what a therapist's beliefs are. Huh. Not irrelevant in terms of not important, but not relevant to the therapy session. Right. Well, let me let me expand on that a little bit, because I think what you're talking about is their religious beliefs or whether they're Republican or Democrat or if they believe homosexuality is wrong or right. These kinds of these kinds of beliefs. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I need to think through it more, but it's more like we're not. Uh, sorry, this sounds selfish. You can cut this. I don't know. I've never been in therapy, really. I've maybe been to like one session but like it's more like a mirror and a self-reflective time for me as the patient not like hey let's share you know like you tell me about you and i'll tell you about me it's not really exactly like that it's more like i'm working through all of this stuff what do you think and they'll just try and you know the way i would like it or imagine it to be is like just talking through it to help me make sense of my life we're not Mm -hmm. really delving into your life as a, as the therapist. Right. So, you know, everybody can have different beliefs, but it's like, you might not want to give therapy to a neo-Nazi because you'd be like, I don't it, like your beliefs don't matter to me, but I like just can't, you know, it's just too disagreeable or too different from me. But like, essentially you could, you don't necessarily have to believe or share anything that your client believes because mm-hmm. potentially that's not relevant. You're just trying to do your job and help them through whatever it is that they have. Right. The simplest way of putting this is that therapists should leave their beliefs outside of the therapy session. But uh, it depends on what we mean by beliefs. It also depends on on what we mean by leaving it out. Because say, for instance, you believe that homosexuality is not a problem, that you actually think homosexuality is a normal human variation. And a client doesn't believe that. They think that homosexuality is a horrible, horrible thing. And they themselves are thinking, maybe I'm homosexual. Well, is it a belief system that homosexuality is okay? Or is it not a belief system? Is it scientifically proven that homosexuality is okay? If a client's struggling with their homosexuality and, you know, they're saying, well, my church says it's wrong, but I don't know. I have these desires on the inside. I really don't know what to do. I've talked with a lot of people. What do you think, therapist? And the therapist says, you know, I'm not going to – I'm not here to tell you what to do, which is probably a good response. But then the the client says, well, I don't really know. You know what? I think think I've concluded that homosexuality is wrong and I'm going to – I'm going to stamp down my sexuality. I'm going to get control of it and I'm going to get married to a woman like like a good boy and that's what I'm going to do. And if the therapist says, good for you, that would be the most non-belief system-oriented therapy, right? Good for you. That's what you want to do. Great. And some therapists are like that. Most therapists that I know would not say that. They would say... Well, you know, they, they would just suggest a little bit. Proceed with caution and a lot of thought. Caution, thought, but definite message that homosexuality is a natural human variation. Uh, if I were hearing a client, not that I'm a therapist, but if I were hearing clients say something like, all right, I'm just going to stamp down such and such feeling and do blah, I might approach it from that generalized uh, idea of, hmm, Maybe stamping down feelings isn't always a good approach. Right? Well, let me let me give you another example. I want to kill my neighbor. Ooh. I'm going to stamp down. You that should feeling. probably stamp down that feeling. Well, that's a value judgment. You see what I'm saying? And that's okay. I'm, I, what the point is is that the historically psychotherapy has said leave your values at the door. That is a lot of. That's not values. That's law. The killing the neighbor part is is illegal. 
the laws in this country have not always been in alignment with what I would believe to be more moral or ethical. So often they are, but right. Okay. But you know, I, yeah. I guess with the murder, you might choose something like like we might want to work on ways to redirect your feelings or your emotions. Blah 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 blah. Because as you know, that is illegal. <laughs> I don't know. But the way you frame it, even the kinds of questions you ask, the yeah. kinds of ways you raise your eyebrows, the kinds of things you say, uh huh, as opposed to. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I mean, there's different ways of responding, and, and, and clients pick up on that. And, and that's an okay thing. That's good. That's an okay thing. Just therapists should be aware of what they're doing. They shouldn't yeah. be in denial that their that values are there. Then what do they do? What What is it that one does when the therapist realizes, my beliefs are that, uh, you know, this instance, I am totally fine and supportive of homosexuality as, as a human variation, and my client is decidedly not okay with it, like... Can they still continue a meaningful therapy relationship, or might they be better served from somebody, a therapist who is in agreement with them? Depends on the therapist's approach to the therapy. Right, because it's like they can't try and change their mind about it or influence them. Like you said, that would be an abuse of their power and influence over a potentially vulnerable person, totally mired in a life crisis. Unless you believed it was an oppressive thought that was unfair to them and to gay people. For instance, a parent has a blonde daughter who is dating a black man, and he considers this to be a, an abomination. This is a horrible thing. Well, some therapists might say it is their non-therapeutic but ethical responsibility hmm. to at least suggest to this person that this belief system is bigoted, wrong, unfair to a whole group of people. Mm-hmm. Now, some therapists wouldn't. I'll tell you, just for the record, I would. I made this decision a long time ago after going back and forth that under certain circumstances, I'm going to sort of put my therapist hat aside and I'm going to put my moral hat on and say and just tell people you you can't hurt other people. That's wrong. And that's not a therapist statement. That's a moral statement. I've had clients recently say that they have urges to hurt people, these strong urges to hurt people. Now, is it therapeutic for me to tell them that's wrong to act on that. It's okay to fantasize, but it's wrong to act on that. I'm not conducting therapy at that point. I'm trying to protect other people from being harmed because I care about human beings. And a black man who is being oppressed by his girlfriend's father is being treated unfairly, and I'm going to say something. Now, am I going to force this person to think differently? No, I, have, I don't. Am I going to manipulate the person? I'm just going to come out and say it and say, this is my belief system. Take it or leave it. You could say the same sentence to 10 different people and get 10 different responses from right, right. 10 different reactions. So because of that, I don't know that you making that value statement in that case is or is not therapy. What I do know is that it's not neutral. It's not neutral. So then the question now to apply it to a, a religious obs- observation. So let's say I come in and I say, all right, here's the deal. I am very religious and my religion says that I should not use medicine. And my daughter is very sick. And uh, but I'm just praying and my wife is uh, starting to have doubts, but I really believe that we should just keep praying and I don't believe in medicine. So how would you approach that? I'll tell you what I would do. Um, If there were no children involved, I probably wouldn't touch it. Mm -hmm. If there were children involved who I thought were too young to make these sorts of decisions on their own, you know, a wife can say to a husband, I don't want to go along with this religious practice. Mm-hmm. A three-year-old will not say that in all likelihood. They're not going to say, I went on the internet and found out that you're a religious belief. You know, they're just going to go along with it, or they can't even... They might be too sick to even know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've never been in that situation, so you know, it's, it's challenging. But again, 
there's a certain line for me, and some would very much disagree with this, and I accept that. There's a certain line for me where harm to other human beings requires me morally to do something, to take an action. If someone has a belief that doesn't harm another human being, like someone could be homophobic and not actually do anything about that belief. Right. And I'm, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. That's, that's their belief that, that the thought in their head sort of permeates out to some extent, but it's not a direct harm to another human being. But if they're saying that they, they want to harm homosexuals, then that's a different issue. Or that right. there's, their neighbor is a homosexual and they're really wanting to harm him. Or they're excommunicating their child because they're gay. Sure. Um, now, am I going to say, I'm not going to work with you if you don't? No, I'm just, I'm just going to throw it out there and say, my belief system says this. And here's, you know, because another thing is, is some people don't have a lot of opportunity to be told the other side of the other, other viewpoint. The group of people that they hang around with says the same thing to each other and reinforces it. And so sometimes, you know, you just want to throw out another point of view and see if see what happens. But, but we're sort of getting away from the topic of religion and spirituality. I want to get back to that. So the reason why I believe that spirituality and religion should be discussed in the therapy session, if necessary, or if it comes up, is because uh, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize, but maybe particularly in Seattle, is that most Americans identify as being religious or spiritual, but but many religious. Mm -hmm. And in Seattle, I, I find that the assumption is that people are not religious or spiritual, in Seattle, it's almost like everyone just assumes everyone's atheist. Don't you? Don't you? Don't you find that to be true? Actually, I've always gotten the sense that there's a lot of spiritual people around Seattle, but they're probably like Buddhists or Taoists or just, like I said, New Age or, or some other type of spirituality. Right. Like if you thought of a spiritual person in Seattle, you'd think New Age or something. Yeah. But actually, statistically, it's mostly Christian. It's just like the right. rest of the states. Right. But they're in the closet because they aren't comfortable talking about their religion because they know that the majority of Seattleites will scoff at them. My Korean friends, a lot, I mean, they're... Right, I was going to say that, too. Yeah, they're very religious. Very right? religious, I was going to say that, yeah. So so some examples of when, religious, when religion or spirituality might come up in therapy that I have seen is the, the, the thing that come, came to mind first was when a client loses someone, when someone dies. There's a whole slew of meanings that get attributed to death, to the, the process of dying, to the process of mourning someone, and religion and spirituality is a part of that, I think, depending on the person. And I think that a lot of clients, when I ask them the following questions, they're taken aback because they, they aren't – I think they think that, oh, have we just crossed the line into some other realm? <laughs> and I'll ask the question, I'll say, do you believe in an afterlife? If someone believes in an afterlife, there's a very different meaning when you lose someone and there's an afterlife than when you lose someone and there is no afterlife. Do you know? Right. If your mother dies and you believe in a heaven, then you're sad that your mother is gone, but you believe your mother is, is still existing. In fact, she's in the most wonderful place that you could possibly imagine, so to some extent you're really happy for that person. Unless she was a bad mom. Unless she was a bad mom and she's in a different place, right. which is that whole other meaning, right? Right. Whereas if you don't believe in an afterlife, regardless of what religion or spirituality you are, and someone dies and you just believe they've been turned off and they no longer exist, then that's very different. It's a completely different reality. Right. And actually, the, the flip side could also be uh, very hard. Like, let's say you are very religious and you come into therapy and you say, okay, my uh, nephew just died. Say, so, oh my gosh, do you believe in an afterlife? 
I do, I do. Okay, well, does that give you comfort? No, because he, I couldn't convince him to believe, and so he's now gone to the worst place, and now I'm desperately, you know, sad about this, and blah blah blah. Right, and that could happen too. Right, I find that most clients will not bring it up. They don't say, "My mother died." but I know she's in heaven or my mother died. And by the way, I don't believe in an afterlife. I I don't hear that. So it requires me as a therapist to ask. It's almost like I want to give the client permission to talk about that. And for some people, I find a a lot of people in Seattle, when I ask the question, they'll say, well, I have a sense of something. Even for some Christians, they might not necessarily believe in heaven. And so what I find is when I, when I ask the question, they, it gets them thinking about something that is going on in the back of their head anyway. And then we explore it. And I explore it in their language. If they use the word heaven, I use the word heaven. If they use the word reincarnation, then I use the word reincarnation. If they say the person was just turned off, then I, then I use that language. So that's one situation. Another situation is when someone's approaching death themselves. Uh, again, the meaning of approaching death and being turned off forever, that's different than the, than the meaning of approaching death and going to heaven or hell. Those are very different, ex- or being reincarnated or, or joining the universe or whatever yeah, the various yeah. beliefs are. So you're conscious about, like, for example, you don't ask, do you think you go to heaven? Yeah. You, you ask, you know, what, what do you think happens? Or that, yeah. That's right. I, I would advise therapists to use general language and then wait for the client to use their language and then use their language. You don't quote the Bible verse directly. <laughs> All right, right. And I try to be very neutral in the way I ask the question because I'm sort of stepping into a, a zone. You know, I don't go, so you believe in an afterlife, right? You know, I don't say right. that, right? I, I, I'm, I try to be as neutral as possible in the question. Another uh, situation that I see coming up in therapy is when a family comes together during worship. You know, one of the big things that I try to do is promoting togetherness and love and bonding. And some families, if you don't ask them, they won't necessarily tell you this, but they do a lot of bonding around church. Worshiping and various different spiritual rituals or practices can have a profound effect on people. And if you're not familiar with that, you might not ask it or you might not even know what that feels like, particularly if you're a sort of person that hates religion, which I find that there's a fair amount of people that have baggage around religion and avoid that topic. Or when a client talks about religion, they either sort of poo-poo it as like, oh, that's, re- that's sort of a ridiculous form of society or that sort of thing. I, I came up with an example earlier, um, and you know, I, I like this example because it, it highlights for maybe the two of you how weird this might sound. So, so bear, if it sounds weird, please let me know. So I was thinking, okay, if I had a client that was wearing a what would Jesus do bracelet, a WWJD. I don't know if Christians still wear it. Do they still wear oh, this? Yeah. Okay. So they have a bracelet that says WWJD, and the client, she's stressed with work and obligations. She's very, she's telling me, I'm very stressed with work and obligation. I don't know what to do. I might point out that they are wearing a bracelet that says WWJD. Now, I'm not imposing that. I'm just pointing out that she's wearing that. And I'd say, well, what would Jesus do? Right. Now, to us, you you laugh, right? Because that's sort of a joke outside of Christian life is what would Jesus do is a silly thing that, that non-Christians make fun of Christians about, typically. Uh, I'll hear some crazy right-wing person saying something that's like, I don't like poor people, or we shouldn't help poor people. And I actually think, really? What would Jesus do? Well, so it's a, like, like, I think the question can be used in both ways. You know, like, yeah. if you're not religious in that way, you might think, well, that's kind of a silly question. But you might also say, like, wait a minute, you're not even following your own belief system. The point I think I was laughing, I was giggling, because I was like, oh, you know, I just imagine you're talking about your client who's like, I'm so stressed out at work, I just can't handle my boss and my workload 
blah. And then I think, oh, and then I left because I imagined Jesus in her office at her desk, piles of paper, phones ringing off the hook, emails coming in. And I'm just like, I can't imagine what he would do because Jesus in an office makes me feel like that's whimsical. It's whimsical. And, I, right. and I'm like, wait, okay, let's try and just take it out of the literal. What would he do? And then you'd have to just say, how would he transcend this dilemma right, right, or this right. crisis right. which is what she'd have to do she'd have to right. be like well how can i make a parallel from jesus's time and his crazy office life to my crazy office life wouldn't he duplicate some water some wine out of water and have a party see more, <laughs> more jokes and this is what christians reasons why they don't talk about their religion now from a christian point of view <laughs> from a christian point of view they very much believe this that jesus was a model human being that they should follow and a lot of the things that jesus did had to do with how to live, how to live a good life, how to forgive, how to love, how to give to the needy, how to um, deal with oppression, this sort of thing. So to the Christians that I know, the what would Jesus do is a very powerful idea and a very guiding idea and a very self-helpy idea to some extent. Now, I might not just throw it out there and go, what would Jesus do? But I, I might point at their, at their bracelet and I would say, so are you wearing that bracelet for a reason? I mean, I would lead up to it to some extent and I would say, so, you know, what, what would Jesus do? Now, that would be me introducing spiritual language that I would assume the client would be thinking about since they're wearing that that bracelet. And the idea is, is that the client would self-reflect and say, okay, well, again, Jesus does, didn't work in an office, but, but what would the attitude be that Jesus would have? The client wouldn't know that, of course, but the idea is, is that they can call upon the wisdom and actually embody that, that to their benefit. Does that make sense? No, it, it makes a lot of sense. And look, even, even though we're kind of making light of the thing, you don't have to actually literally believe in, in everything in the New Testament or whatever to use Jesus as a role model conceptually. Because, I mean, you, you, we do this with the Dalai Lama or with Gandhi or with Buddha. Uh, Jesus is just like even more archetypal and more like pristine in, in people's memories, right? So you go, well, would Jesus do? And you would get that sense like, well, he certainly wouldn't throw rocks at people. Well, he certainly wouldn't spit on people's faces. He certainly wouldn't not help the poor, right? And it, which kind of goes to my point. Like, I almost wish that question was asked more often, even though I, you know, like, I don't have the religious connotation to it. I'm like, yeah, actually, let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if, if, if it was kind of, if I felt like it was a value judgment, you know, like, well, you're not being very Jesus-like or something like that, you know, that would be... Oh, from, from the therapist. Yeah. Right, right. So it, you know, and whenever a therapist intervenes in that way, they need to think about that, whether they're talking about religion yeah. or not. You know, they don't want to make, they don't want to alienate the client, of course, yeah. unless you're Fritz Perls, right? Yes, sir. Remember Fritz Perls? I was thinking about him tonight. Yeah? Yeah. How come? Do you have the hots for Fritz? Um, God, no. <laughs> he would make me agitated like he made Gloria. Yeah. 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 Oh, I think it must have been earlier when we were talking about other religion. Like, if you want to get confrontational, you want to push somebody's buttons to see their reactions, to see where they, how they really feel, maybe in relation to their religious beliefs or their whatever, that he could do that. People could do that. Right. You know, like you could totally stay away from it, like you were talking about, or you could pick up on their language and use it. You could talk about your own language, or you could start challenging their language or beliefs. You know, these are all different ways to, I don't know, interact or engage. Exactly. It's another language system to use, whether it's non-religious based or religious based. They're both just different ways of talking about similar things, right? And it's an art form. 
I'm guessing that people listening, some people will get triggered by this conversation, and and I I welcome your comments, but but try to remember that I'm not saying that there's this one way to do things. My point is, in having this episode, just one of the points, is to say that it shouldn't be taboo. If a therapist thinks that it's going to be helpful to discuss religion with their client or to use religious language or spiritual language, then it it should be done, right? Uh, It shouldn't be off limits just because of the political climate in which Americans live. Does that make sense? Of course. If it's an important, like I said, cultural facet to that client, then engage with it. Like, to me, I'd be like, it's not really relevant to me. It's not part of my life. It doesn't change or shape my decision-making or my beliefs. Right. It doesn't play in part in whatever crisis we're discussing right now. Right. But if it was and they are battling with it, then, yeah, I feel like it's their job to engage. All right. So let's go on to news and tough. Let's just go to tougher bluff. What do you say? Or do you have any juicy news items? I couldn't find any more news. Okay. Let's go. Let's go to tougher bluff. Tougher bluff. Evangelicalism. 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 Evangelism. That's something different. Okay, ready? Okay. Evangelicalism first emerged in the 1900s in the American South. Tougher bluff. Evangelicalism first emerged in the 1900s in the American South. Tougher bluff. Tough. 1900s in the American South. Well, 1900s meaning like from 1900 to 1999. Uh, I would say, fine, tough. It's bluff. It emerged in the 1700s. 17-something? In Europe. Hmm. What? Mm-hmm. Okay, you blew my mind. I know. Wow. And, the, and the seeds actually were in the 1600s in Germany. Really? Yeah. Huh. That's surprising, right? It is surprising. Because it's so much associated with the American South. Come on, get God! That, yeah, the singing churches and everything. It's yeah. been around for a long time. Hmm. All right, Tover Bluff. The toothbrush was invented in 1498. The toothbrush was invented in 1498. I'll say tough. Well, that is a tough question because it would have had to have the horse. Da, da, da. I'll say tough. It is tough. Can you believe I, that sounds so long ago? Like I would imagine them being coming along here. Like George Washington had wooden fucking teeth. They didn't care about toothbrushes back then when George Washington was president. So well, like, they, did, they didn't say that very many people used it. You know, I just I think that that's very interesting. Toothbrush. It is. I think they're very important. But I would have thought the Chinese would have invented it like four thousand years ago. Do you know what I mean? No, because I would see like throughout cultures them having toothpicks, then having things they can chew, them having things they can rub. Tough above. All right, the real world. <sighs> The Real World first aired on May 21st, 1993. San Francisco. Um, tough. That's Bluff. It was 91. Well, uh, Kirk, your Bluff is right, but the wrong year. Oh. It's May 21st, 1992. Oh, okay. oh. It was right in between those two. Oh. And it was not, the San Francisco wasn't the first one, right? It was, San Francisco was the second one. Oh, no, that, no, or was it New York the first one? Yeah, New York was the oh, first one. Oh, yeah. I can't right. I remember. I watched and that one guy ended up going on the, on the grind. That's right. Oh, Eric. Wasn't his Eric. name Eric? Eric, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, was and, then, and then it was San Francisco with Puck. Puck with, and Rachel. And then the guy who died. Jed. Oh, P- Pedro had oh, AIDS. Pedro. And then it was in Seattle. No, 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 no. And then two of them got married, and they were like still married. The Asian girl, Pam, and the other guy named Jed or Jed or Jed I think his name was Jed anyone I, I was like by the way eight years old wait a minute I was eight wait, wait, years wait. old your then. parents let you watch that and I still remember that shit wait I am from some other time we're wrong by the way I mean we're right about the New York 92 but the second one was Los Angeles who got who no who cares about that shit the third one was San Francisco well that's the one everybody remembers no one watched LA I, I did but I obviously forgot it it no, was totally not memorable can anyone name any newsworthy uh, cast members no no 
No. San Francisco. And, we and remember like five one? of them. The fourth one was where? I thought it was Seattle. London. No, oh. Seattle was later. And then Seattle Miami, and then Boston, and then Seattle. Oh. <laughs> I just remember they, they lived down on the pier, and then, and then it burned down. The building burned. The pier yeah. building burned down. All right, Tougher Bluff. The Polish National Catholic Church was founded in the U.S. Tougher Bluff. The Polish National Catholic Church was founded in the U.S. Mandy. Bluff. I have no idea. I'll say tough because national would be, I don't know, tough. <laughs> It's tough. The Polish National Catholic Church was founded in the U.S. It's ironic, right? I, I mean, I thought national... I don't know why I'm thinking national means from the U.S. <laughs> so egocentric. So. Yeah. All right, Manny. Tough or bluff. The Guinness Book of World Records holds the record for being the book most stolen from public libraries. <laughs> really? I don't know. Oh, the... <laughs> I'm so dumb. I keep forgetting the rules of the game. Okay, I'll say bluff. Yeah, I say bluff. It's the Bible. They steal the Bible? It's sure. tough, and I almost read it. The Bible is the most stolen book from the library, but it's the Guinness Book of World Records. That's true. But oh. that's what I would have said. I was like, hey, oh, no, just read it as it is. I was going to say okay. the Bible, but I was like, right. everybody, nobody wants a Bible. They put them in motel rooms for free. Nothing you're supposed to steal them, but they're pretty prolific. Yeah. I was like, actually I was in a hotel this this weekend and I actually had they actually had the Bible in the drawer. I was surprised because I thought that hotels would have gotten rid of that. No, they still I don't think they all do, but some still do. I feel like I haven't seen the Bible in a hotel in a while. Wasn't that the Gideons they would they would they were the ones that distributed those yeah, to the but hotels? If, if you're a hotel, do you really want to I mean, do you, if you're non Christian you're offended. And and if you're Christian, you don't need to have a Bible in the hotel room, right? Didn't we say seventy percent or seventy five percent of America is Christian? It's true. It's true. But you're lonely in the hotel and you might be looking for answers you know what i wish they'd bring back if they got rid of the bibles we were i was just i don't actually know if i wish this or if i just wonder anyone been to one recently the motel with the quarter operated vibrating function where the bed would be like uh, that's a different kind of hotel <laughs> Do, did, was that only for like sex motels that you rented hourly or like normal motels used to have it no yeah normal motels would have it as a as a gimmick like the, the shaking bed uh-huh Oh, really? Have you been on one? No. Yeah, so a lot, like like kitschy hotels. Would I don't need that. the coins. <laughs> <laughs> you just you just lay there. I just shake my butt. Uh, have we all gone twice? Tougher bluff. I think I only went once. Okay. That's fine. Yours are always weird. Did you do two? I think I did two. Did you do two, Mandy? Yes, I just. I think we only did one. We've only done one. No, we we. Did I two. just did two. The toothbrush one and the. You'll go, one. and then I'll do a short one. Then go. Uh, in 1995, the top-rated MTV show was <laughs> Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> 1995, top-rated MTV show was Beavis and Butthead. Well, Beavis and Butthead was on from 92 until maybe beyond 95, so it's possible. But I don't think 95, it was still that popular, so I'm going to say bluff. I'm going to say it was it was like the number one in 93. Mandy, do you even know what Beavis and Butthead is? Yes, of course. <laughs> I watched Beavis and Butthead as an eight-year-old, oh. or as a ten-year-old in 1995. You were not to. What kind of parents did you have? Shh, they were really nice. Okay. I know, I know them. I love them. I love All them right. too. I, and apparently, they did not give a shit what I did. I turned. Look at how I turned out. I know it didn't affect you at all. Look at me. You're totally normal. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> uh -oh. Jesus tells she me. She just to gave me a scary look. Dude. You, uh, later. Tougher okay. bluff. Tougher bluff. Beavis. Tough. And Tough. Tough? Yeah. Yes. Booyah! But see, it's, it's a trick question, but it is technically <laughs> correct. Beavis and Butthead was the top-rated series until July that year when it was surpassed by the real world. Mm. 
Interesting. Okay, one more. According to Wikipedia, the Church of Satan does not believe in Satan. The Church of Satan does not believe in Satan. Mandy? What? Bluff. I don't know. I, I used to know this in high school, and I think the answer is tough. Why? Because they, it's a philosophy, not literally a belief in the Catholic Satan. Right. The Church of Satan does not believe in Satan. They don't believe in anything. It's actually an atheistic religion. To, okay. so. Well, their name sounds really scary. Right. Yeah. But it, they, they, I don't know, you have to read up on it. It sounds like an interesting conglomeration of philosophies. It's, it's interesting. But I can't imagine anyone going, I want to be in the Church of Satan. Why not just be an atheist? I don't know. It's an ironic thing because they said they were saying because it was a church about like your pleasures and following your 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 human and animal instincts. They threw the Satan thing in there, kind of to rub it in to say like it doesn't matter what we call it because it doesn't matter what we call it. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. But they adopt a lot of this satanic symbology. Like I think that was to piss people off. Yeah, maybe, maybe. (laughs) All right, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us. Please take care of yourself and don't be afraid of religion, people. No. We never clap at the end of shows. Mm. Can, can we all give a big cheer? Okay, ready? One, one two, three. Woo! You bastard. See, we, uh, we, we laugh. We're cheering uh, in a form of mocking laugh at you. That was like those moments where you're like, let's all jump off this bridge together. And then Birdo's the only one, and he's like, oh. You were always that schmuck, weren't you? <laughs> hey, guys! Have you seen the new Batman movie? No, no I want to. I'm afraid, I'm afraid to go to the theater. Why? Because of the shootings. I didn't like it very much. Really? Yeah. Really? Well, then don't say anything because I will watch it. I'm going to go too. Discuss it. It's okay. But I feel like I don't share the American value of what is a good movie because every time America goes crazy about a movie, I'm like, yeah, it was entertaining, but it wasn't. It was no moonshine or no moonshine beach. Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise King- Did you it was see no it? Moonrise Kingdom. Yes. Oh, I love that movie. Okay. I love Wes Anderson and I haven't seen that yet. That's don't a, tell it me. Awesome. It's maybe his. Best one, what? Like Royal, Royal Tannenbaum, Royal Tannenbaum's. Oh, I love all of his movies. Me too. I, 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 Did I know that. I would assume you would assume that about me. Rushmore Why would I assume Moonrise. that about you? Why would I? We love Wes assume? Anderson. Yeah. but I love Wes Anderson. No, we I, love. No, no, I. No, we, no, no, I. No, no, wait, you? No, we. No, me. No, I. Love. You? <laughs> I think you and I saw uh, Darjeeling Limited. Yeah, together. we did. Yeah. I can't believe. All right, the next one we have to go together because now that we've realized we all like it, we can't leave each other out. Yeah. But I put, like, Rushmore, Royal Tannenbaums, Bottle Rocket at the top, yeah. and then Darjeeling Limited is a little bit below that. And what are the other ones? Uh, the Royal... T- oh, the... Life Aquatic Wisdom. Life Aquatic, you know. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Fantastic Mr. Fox is pretty good, but... Ah, yeah. The Moonrise Kingdom is up in the upper category. Yeah, oh, my God, I can't wait. I'd say for me it's at least top two? three, if not top... Yeah. Fuck! What, yeah. what would be your top three? Well, I, for me, Rushmore is number one yeah. because it's, like, just too good. Yeah. Um, I would say number two, it might, be, it might be a tie between Moonrise and Tenenbaums. Yeah. For me. I really love Bottle Rocket because I, I saw that when and it came I out. And I love Bottle Rocket. Yeah, I But I just, I just have to, like, knock it only because it was less developed than some of his later ones. Right. But it's a great movie. Yeah. And it's really funny. Yeah. Like, it's really funny. Yeah. I think he's amazing. <laughs> Wes Anderson. Hello. We're suddenly taking calls, calls everybody. Calls on the air. On, finally, we finally got a call hotline. I've been waiting to take calls from you guys for ages. So have I. Oh, okay. Hi, so. I'm from Minnesota. I just have one question for Mandy. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Um, do you really always use the same brand condom? You know, when you find just the right fit, you've got to stick with it. And with pounded hard condoms, I couldn't be happier. Okay, great. I'll try those tonight. Thanks. <laughs> Buy them bulk volume discount.